Welcome to Books, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. As promised this week, we have special guest Seth Harwood on with us to talk about sneakers, mostly. <laughs> but also about his shoes? books. Yeah, gym shoes. Yeah. We're going to talk a lot about gym shoes. Also, we're going to talk about the Maltese Jordans. But in the event that you missed it last week, here is Seth's bio from Amazon. Seth Harwood is the author of five novels and two collections of short stories. After stints in the commodities trading industry, rare book cataloging, and bartending, he attended the Iowa Writers Workshop. He now lives in central Massachusetts and teaches creative writing online for Harvard and Stanford. Find out more about Seth Harwood and the Jack Palms novels on his official website, SethHarwood.com. Seth, welcome back. It's been over a year, man. It's good to have you back. Yes, I'm happy to be here. So the last time we had you on, uh, you were working on the Maltese Jordans. And now for anybody who's tuning into this, the book is finally done and out. And we reviewed it last week. So if you want to catch up on the things we're talking about tonight, skip back an episode, listen to that, and then come back to this. It was a great review. I really appreciate you guys reading it and talking about it. It was really fun to listen to. I know your listeners are going to love that episode. I've never heard you guys give five stars. In both of you in agreement? It doesn't happen often. Yeah, I was going to say that's, yeah. There, it's pretty rare. Few. I, I mean, I, 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 ha- I, could, I have a spreadsheet with all of the information, but I don't feel like going into that now. Oh, please. Yeah. yeah. We'll I'm just going to, I just, I'm going to tell everyone that it's the only five star review I've ever yeah. heard you guys give. Yeah, and that's accurate, right? Yeah. So. It is, it is. <laughs> It's <laughs> and that's um, only in part because the five the re, the star reviews usually come like an hour into your podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's well, it's yeah. So typically our breakdown is probably about forty minutes of review yep. plus, and then twenty minutes of chit chat yes. about mm-hmm. other stuff and whatever. So, but I thought that uh, I listened to the one where you guys reviewed Cherry, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, this book is like another New York marketing piece of shit. And then at the end, you're both like, I really liked it. It was one of the best books I've read all year. Four point whatever stars. And I was like, oh, shit. They're going to like <laughs> Sherry more than my book. <laughs> but now I, I'm convinced the opposite. And don't tell me different. No, I agree. Uh, Cherry was a surprise. Um, I didn't expect to like it nearly as much as I did. So I will say that. But it wasn't that good. Look, this is the thing, man. There are books that affect you differently. Mm. So there, you know, in my mind, there's, you know, there's like the the super like deep book that makes you think about things you've never thought before. And that can be really good. Then you have a book that's just fucking entertaining. And it's like hard to compare the two because one of them you just had a lot of fun reading. And the other one maybe changed your life or changed your outlook on certain yeah. things in your life. You know what I mean? But they they're both great. They're just great in different ways. So it's like tough to. To quantify, Did Cherry do one of those things for you. Cherry was fucking <laughs> funny. Did Cherry make you change the way you look at the world? No, not at all. And Maltese Jordans did. Well, yeah, I, I now say the word sneakers, which was a word that wasn't part of my vocabulary <laughs> until a year and ago. You guys say Sned. The yeah. funny thing was that we were looking up Sned when we were listening, and the only things that we could find of it online didn't have the apostrophe in it. Yeah. <laughs> I was very surprised. I would have really thought. I mean, I need. I feel the need to preserve that apostrophe, but I guess in the common vernacular, it's gotten to the point where it's just a normal word. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be super judgy and say that you're probably one of the the you know better spoken people that's into sneakers. 
like the people in my life that I know they're into sneakers, they're usually not the top the top uh, crust of of intelligence. The few people that I've known, like DJ Khaled, for example, he's really into sneakers. Have you ever listened to an interview with him? A little bit, but yeah, you should also check DJ out. Khaled. There's a um, there's a TV show that's only on the internet from Complex that's called Quick Strike, where they have these guys Russ Bankston and DJ Clark Kent. And they talk about sneakers and and they're a little they're pretty articulate. But you know what? It's really like a class and socioeconomic thing, because if you go to like certain areas and and sort of the Northampton Springfield nexus is one of them, like you will not see people in Northampton wearing any sneakers that matter at all. And if you go to uh, Springfield and hang out like outside of the bus station or outside of the courthouse, you'll see like all the fucking awesome Jordans you could want. And so there's just like such a divide there, but there's other places like New York city or San Francisco where like everyone knows what the shit is. Like I had this one pair of Jordans and I was, uh, in line at some sort of hamburger place and this couple behind me was a white woman and and her Asian boyfriend. And they're like, oh, I like your fours, blah, blah, blah. We were waiting in line for blah, blah. And so it's like there's different parts of the country where it's not so tied into like a certain socioeconomic level. Yeah. Plus in San Francisco, you can wear your kicks year round. You're not like, oh, my God, I'm not going to wear my Jordans in the snow. Money's got to be the shoes. 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 The shoe is not the shoes. You're listening to Seth Harwood. Subscribe today at patreon.com slash Seth Harwood. See, you know how to sell shit. Me and Livius are just like, hey, you can check it out if you want. Like you act, you're, you're like throw <laughs> energy and enthusiasm behind it. And we're just kind of like, maybe they will. <laughs> So. I've had my things that, yeah, I mean, so that's the thing about this book is that I have a lot of energy and enthusiasm about it. Yeah, like I, yeah, I really feel good about this book. It combines a lot of things that I really love. And I'm sure you guys could tell that I have a passion for some of the things that are in it. Um, the sneakers, the basketball. I just love that shit. Like that's the shit that I grew up with. And when I started writing this, I just sort of like dove into that sneakerhead rabbit hole. And even bought up a couple pairs. And I'd always kind of like refuse to allow myself that luxury. Like I just grew up with like sensible, rational people in my life who were like, man, if you have more than like three pairs of clean, usable, current sneakers ready to go, there's a problem. And other people, but then I realized like some people that I know and like have like 60 pairs of Jordans. And so I was able to pull the ripcord on that a little bit well i feel like this was your opportunity like as, yeah. as someone who writes like <clears throat> you could write that all off as like a like research for a book like you could have bought tons of yeah tons, tons of pairs and just gone nuts on them it is it was research i was writing it off as tax man cometh it's like this is research <laughs> this is research this is research and it was like i had to learn a lot about the sneakers and how the releases go, but then also like, what are the resale markets like? What do people go crazy about? What can you sell and buy and all the things? 
wonder if these tax deductions will lead to um, uh, an interview where we're talking to you about like a low security prison. It's likely. <laughs> I think there's a good chance of that. Either that or I'll get sued by Nike and Jordan. Hey, and, that's and, good publicity right there, though. I think that that could work in your favor. Well, we'll see. So uh, let's just talk. Let's get the sneaker talk going because I know it's going to happen. We've got several <laughs> topics that we've written down that, that are focused on that. So, And it's obvious that like this is a true like personal passion of yours. Um, and to kick off the conversation, I want to ask you, so you listened to, you told us you listened to our review of, of, of the, of the book and Livius shared a little bit of his history where when he was a, a little, little guy, <laughs> he the bought Patrick Ewing, he bought a pair of Patrick Ewing's. And so those are the jam. Are they really? <laughs> Cause he said they were ugly, right? They were, they were hideous and I couldn't find um, I just couldn't find a picture of the actual pair because I was going to send it to both of you guys. So going through Google Images did not. And I was uh, by a kid. I, I I want you to understand. I was like twenty five. <laughs> yeah, you're oh, a kid. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when I was in college, we used to like go to the mall on the weekends just to look at the sneakers in the store. And we were all basketball players, so we sort of coveted anyway. But we would just go and like look at the sneakers. That was what we did on the weekends at the mall. What a, because obviously, right? That's what you do. And so that was when the Jordan, the Jordan like 11s were starting to come out then. And I was like really into them, but I never thought that I could buy Jordans because they were so expensive. And because my game just wasn't like Jordan's, I, I was a big, I mean, in a lot of ways, it was not like Michael Jordan's game, but I, I was more like a Patrick Ewing, big man down low type of guy. And so I just couldn't like, I, I had to buy like the super high, like David Robinson's or something mm -hmm. like that, because I felt this obligation to not try to have sneakers like I was a shooting guard or something like that. But um, the Patrick Ewing's for sure, man. So Patrick Ewing was with Adidas for a while when he came out. And so there was a pair of like Adidas uh, Nick's colors, white with blue and orange on them. Is that what we're talking about? Or are we talking about? When he had his own, like when Adidas threw him out yep. and he had his own sneaker line that was just Patrick Ewing's and on the Correct. tongue, it just said in giant letters, Ewing. Yep. Yes. So they were, they were like, a, <laughs> I don't even know if the, this is the right word, but like a Swedish material on the outside and Ooh. they were like green, purple, <laughs> and like maybe orange. Now I found a pair that's close online, but this is definitely not the one, you know what I mean? But yeah, they were. They were something pretty special. I was a huge, I was a huge Knicks fan in that area. See, when you talk, so you guys are going to talk about hip hop at some point, and I'm going to completely tune out because I don't understand anything you're saying. When when you say big man down in the post about Ewing, I know what you mean. Rob has no idea. Nice. So, I thought yeah. he made that up. Yeah. Yeah. A lot I had of a pair of Adidas. No, I had a pair okay. of Adidas like around the time when Ewing was with Adidas that were so big and ugly. And somehow, like when my family got like the family pictures taken of like me and my sister and my dad. Uh, I, ha I was wearing these horrendously ugly blue and silver and white Adidas. And so now they're memorialized in those pictures <laughs> and they, they were horrendous, but other people have been sending me this, my friend, uh, Ed Parrott, Ed Perot, who publishes under the name Edward Talbot. He, um, he also read the book and he wrote the first review of it on Amazon 
which is a kick-ass review. I want to send you, or I want to read a piece of that review because I thought it was really great. Uh, but um, he started sending me pictures of sneakers that he had way back in the day, and he had some Converse that were terrible. The Converse black tops. Oh, man, he had some uh, <laughs> really ugly ones. Um, so the Ewings weren't as bad as Livius remembered them is what I'm getting out of this. Well, some of the Ewings were bad. I mean, this. so my friend Ed had the Converse Tarmacs that were really ugly, but then he sent me another picture of his Avia Ocelots that are like pink, orange, purple. Oh, they're bad. They're really bad. (laughs) All right. Yeah, I guess the thing is, I mean, it doesn't matter who the manufacturer is. I think that so in my in my teenage years, I wore a lot of Converse and not like the all stars, Mm. but like the Converse classics, the like big tongue leather high tops. The weapon. Um, Yep. Larry Bird. that's, That's yeah. Exactly. So that's, but that's like a style where you pretty much like the style, but once in a while you'd run across one, you'd be like, Oh, those colors are hideous. You know, yeah. so I think that, that, that sneaker heads, obviously there's a collectible aspect. So they may go outside, you know, they may buy something because of the type of release it is, but I think you find a shoe company that you like their overall styling. And then you have to pick from the ones that really speak to you personally. Um, if yeah. that's colors or if it's high tops or mid tops or Velcro or whatever weird thing you're into. But I think everyone kind of gravitates towards one company that they like better than others. As an adult, any uh, sneakers that I own, um, like when I used to work out, they were all Adidas. And they were all Adidas basically running shoes or like cross training shoes. And that's that's the only style I really care for in that type of shoe. I used to wear Adidas Originals for a long time uh, in my 20s. And maybe part of my 30s, I was really into Adidas. I was teaching ninth grade high school at one point, And one of the kids asked me if I had a contract with Adidas as a teacher because I was wearing Adidas all the time. But I moved on. Once I got into like the real sneakerhead thing, I just started going after Nike and Jordans. Because that was the thing was that I never bought these Jordans, but I loved them on a certain level as I was growing up and as they were being released. So when I found out through the research for this book that if you wanted a pair of 96 Jordans, you didn't have to go back and like buy some that had been made in 96. You could just wait and whichever ones you wanted would come out eventually within a couple of years and you could buy them for retail if you hopped on it. I will say the Jordan 11s because I looked them up is a nice style. It's the grail. That's what they (laughs) so there's all these. That's the other thing is that there's this vocabulary of sneakerheads. Like one of my coolest points in researching this whole thing for the book was there was a certain pair of Jordan threes that came out uh, and I was living in San Francisco and there was you have to go to like certain places if you want to be able to get a shoe that comes out in a size 14. You can't just like go to any sneaker store. So even the ones that have the special releases, only some of them will have a size 14 that comes out. So I went to this one store just to see them and I had already like woken up early and ordered them online. And this guy was there and he said to me, uh, I said, you know, I was just looking at them. They pulled them out and I was looking at the 14s and he's like, oh, you should definitely buy those because he hadn't been able to get his size because he didn't win the lottery or something. But no one had claimed the 14s for the lottery. So I could have bought them. And he's like, oh, you got to buy those, right? 
And I was like, no, I just bought some online. I'll just wait for those to come. And he said to me, oh, but you could just buy those and DS them. And I actually knew what he was talking about. And I was like, oh, man, I am in this rabbit hole and I love it. <laughs> so what is DS for the rest of us? DS stands for dead stock. And the fact that you would use that as a verb is insane. But <laughs> yeah, so like dead stock, like the phrase is like you buy one to rock and one to stock. So oh, if yeah. there's a really hot release, you buy two pairs of it. One of them you can wear and mess up. And then another one you have like on le like you just have to pull out later if you ever need like a super clean pair or if you want to sell it at some point. Mm -hmm. So this guy was suggesting that I buy another one to dead stock. And the etymology of the term dead stock is that in the old days, these guys from New York City who wanted something like an Air Max 95 would like go hunting around the country and they would find these sneaker stores in Iowa or something that had like a whole warehouse full of these Air Max 95s that no one in Iowa gave a shit about. And then these guys would like pull them out of the dead stock and start wearing them. So that's why they started calling it dead stock. So this, all right. Um, first of all, uh, ha being kind of into drinking bourbon and stuff uh, <laughs> in the in the bourbon community, like if you have multiple bottles of the same bourbon, that's called bunkering. Nice. Uh, kind of the same thing. Like you just have extra bottles for when you run out of the one you're drinking or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but this whole thing, this everything that you've been saying reminded me uh, of a question that came up when I was reading your book, which is. Um, at certain points in the book, uh, talking about acquiring, you know, specific pairs of sneakers and stuff, people were really cautious about making sure that it was their shoe size. And it was, it, it occurred to me like, so is it typical of a sneakerhead to buy in their size or are some people just buying whatever they can get their hands on with the idea that they're going to resell it later? That's a good question. Um, I think, well, it just depends on what kind of purchase it is. Like there are some people who just buy stuff because they want to sell it or flip it. Yeah. Uh, and other people really want to buy it. And, you know, for me, it's like if I buy a 14, the resale value of that is lower than if I buy like a really popular size, like an 11 or an 11 and a half. But I always would just buy 14 knowing like, you know, if I don't want it and I'm going to sell it, I'm not going to get that much for it, but at least I know that I'm selling it to someone who like I'm going to get and sort of understand. Um, mm. So there's only been a couple times where I bought an 11 to try to sell it at a higher price. But generally, like I always if I'm going to buy something, it's always something that I at least think at the time, like I might want to wear this. Although yeah. then there's a couple where it's just like such a ridiculous release where, you know, like I have no interest in certain designers and a designer will do like a, a collaboration with Nike and then that sneaker will come out and you know immediately you can sell it for like $500 and I don't really care about the designer. So I just, but those are usually really hard to get. And so I just got like, I've only been able to get like one or two of those. Yeah. Interesting. So the Jordan 11s look pretty nice, but the we Jordan did 11, I think is like the best release of Jordan ever. And I think a lot of people agree. Like if you go to the websites and like look at the top 10 Jordans of all time, a lot of people will rank the 11s pretty high up. So where do the Yeezys fall in? Oh man. 
The Yeezys are not a Jordan sneaker at all. No, no. they're actually Adidas. I didn't know that until I looked. Well, them no, because that was actually wrong. Like Yeezy, <laughs> so Yeezy is now with Adidas, but prior to that, he was with Nike. So originally, he was doing Yeezys with Nike. And the reason the Red October is so coveted, there was literally a story where this guy in New York City at a sneaker con had a pair of Yeezys that was signed by Kanye and a guy at a conference. This was in the New York Times. A guy in the, at a conference offered him, offered him $96,000 for him and he didn't sell him. That's insanity. Which is mind boggling. But basically what happened with the Red Octobers <laughs> was Kanye was with Nike and he pissed them off and broke the contract. And right when he broke the contract, they had like a run of Red Octobers that had already been manufactured ready to go. So they just like dropped them all on the market, like in the middle of the night at one point, and they sold out in like 10 minutes. And so because this sneaker was super rare and Nike never did like a full run or a full release of them, that's why the Red Octobers became so expensive and coveted. So like at some point those were selling, I mean, you can buy those now for like 5,000 or $10,000 online. Oh, and they're horribly ugly. Are you talking about any Yeezys or the Red Octobers? I'm looking, all... at, the, I'm looking at the Red Octobers. Yeah, it's <laughs> the, a red... the ones I saw on the Adidas site, I think Rob said they kind of look like a slipper. Yeah. yeah. So they're really like low profile and stuff. No, this one is like the big, it looks like the biggest, bulkiest high top I've ever seen. Yep. So Kanye's kind of got an aesthetic and some, a lot of people don't like it, but some people really like it. And the low ones that Rob thinks looks like a bedroom slipper the um, Adidas ones, people love that shit. If you watch, like, <laughs> you know that show Comedians in Cars with yes. Coffee? Yeah, yeah. If you watch the Chappelle one, he's rocking some Yeezys. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. he. Yeah, it looks like Kanye's got a whole, like, uh, like a texture thing going on. Because, like, I'm looking at these Red Octobers, and it looks like he's... There's a lot of textures. A lot of He's texture. really a designing genius. As you could tell when he went to Trump's Oval Office and talked for a while, you could tell that he's a, kind of a genius. All right. <laughs> well, sorry yeah. I got the Yeezy thing wrong, but... Yeah. Uh, and but that, it's, texture, that texture Yeah, so thing he's currently you. now with Adidas. That texture thing, I mean, is a little bit of a trend in mesh shoes, I think, too, where like you have the breathable mesh... Um, shoes. The crazy, thing, the crazy thing about Kanye was that the reason he left Nike was because Nike wouldn't give him a profit-sharing thing like royalties. And the only person who's ever had royalties on a sneaker with Nike was Jordan. And Kanye is like, I got to have a percentage. And uh, Nike was said no. So he went to Adidas, and Adidas gave him a percentage. And he's, those uh, Adidas Yeezys are really coveted. But I really like that from your review. I really like that Rob has a coworker who's a sneakerhead who endorsed my un, my knowledge of sneakers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, who's that? Uh, it's this guy Moises that I work with, and um, Moises. Yeah, Moises is cool. Moises is a great guy, uh, and I don't even remember. I think I must have just told him. Hey, uh, oh, and he likes to read too. He's a big reader, so I'm gonna get him a copy yeah. copy of this so he could read it. Um, I just happened to mention because he because it was those shoes with the red tags we talked about before that I can't remember. Uh, do you remember talk, like what we were the off whites? 
is that what they are? It's whatever the designer and he puts the, like the red like tag on his shoes. Yeah, I think it's off white. Yeah. I don't um, know if the tag is red, but yeah. Well, that's I I discovered cuz like his his shoes look nothing like anything anybody else is wearing at work. So I was like, what the hell is going on with these? And he started to explain it. It was around the same time that we started talking to you about this book. And so it was good timing. And yeah, oh, that's Mo- Moises knows his stuff, but he authenticated you. Yeah. Yeah, man. I've bought some pairs and uh, done some reselling. And sometimes the reselling part is interesting just in terms of the people that you bump into and the interactions that you have around that. I'd be interested to see because, uh, if you want to talk about hobbies that parallel this, I mentioned the bourbon, but also craft beer. There's a whole like industry uh, around craft beer with um, buying and flipping for profit. But then also, you know, like there's like the white whales, like stuff that came out years ago that was super limited release. And so like everybody's, you know, trying to trade up for them and stuff like that. So it would be interesting to kind of analyze like how similar are these? Cause I think it's just, a, it comes down to anything that's collectible you probably have similar like uh behaviors you know in all those communities yeah with the beers they're like rationing them and you have to go and you can only get like 12 cans or something yep yeah oh yeah and you you live where you live now is like the epicenter of all awesome beer when it comes treehouse. to like uh yeah tree year by treehouse um, yeah, I know this guy who's like the busiest guy that I know and somehow he has time to like drive there an hour and wait to get 12 beers and makes his girlfriend go with him so she can get 12 too. All right. So you want to know what they call the girlfriend in this situation? The mule. She's the mule. Yeah. Knew that. She's, oh, my God. <laughs> Nailed it. She's mule and beers. <laughs> uh, yeah. Can we talk about the book? Can we get back to some literature here? <laughs> All right. Fine. All right. Oh, my God. Let's talk I'm, about some literature. I'm pretty you guys sure. like the book. I'm pretty sure the shoes will come up again. I don't see how it's possible for them not to. Um, but yeah, we reviewed the Maltese Jordans and uh, we told listeners all about it. How about you take a minute and tell them about Maltese Jordans uh, in your own words? Oh, I love the Maltese Jordans. What if Michael Jordan played one secret pickup game in summer 1996 to pay off a debt so big? It would get him banned from the NBA for life. What if that game was played on a private court in Malta and Jordan's parting gift for the king was a jewel-encrusted pair of Jordan 11s, a pair of kicks so special and rare that they could be worth millions if they actually exist. Follow Jack Palms on a hunt from San Francisco to Hawaii and back across the country to New York City as he tracks the only person who knows the truth about these sneakers, a felon who just skipped his bond to chase them, the mythical pair of sneakers that can only go by one name. In the vein of Elmore Leonard and Carl Hyacin, Seth Harwood presents his next novel, The Maltese Jordans. Subscribe today at patreon.com slash Seth Harwood. Yeah, about to give you what you need, you Check it out now. It's the type cerebral. The Maltese Jordans is now available on my website, SethHarwood.com, and on Amazon in print and ebook. That was one of the things that you guys were a little confused about. But the the print book on um 
Amazon has just become available. So it's now available. And on my website, there's now a thing where you can buy it using PayPal. Uh, and I'll sign a copy and send it right to you. And I'm always very happy to do that. And I also just sent you guys a link that has, or that file that has Mark Yoshimoto Nemkov talking about the sort of pitch for the book, which is, uh, you know, is great. This book was so much fun to write. And we talked about, um, in your thing, you guys talked about DJT and how he may or may not show up in the book. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We alluded to it, right? So, so we're going to, you're the, you're the content creator. So we yeah. try really hard not to spoil books. You are welcome to spoil as much as you would like or not like. But I have a question that I think might start a little bit of a conversation here. So your choice on how you want to address this. But my question revolves around the end of the story. And more yeah. specifically, when did you come up with the end of that story? Was it, say, in the last two years? No. Or was it prior? That, okay. Right. That so was that's the thought. right question. That's what I wanted to get into because you guys sort of touched on that. Um so I started writing this book in 2014, uh, and I basically completed a draft. I've completed the first draft in the summer of 2014, and that draft had the whole thing, um, mm -hmm. all the stuff that happens at the end. And so when I went back and and was revising it to release it last year, I tried to put in some really clear things that said, like, this is taking place in 2014. Like, page one, it says 2014. There's a reference to the Warriors uh, that should make oh, it really yeah. clear that it's 2014. And there were a couple other things um, around President Obama that came up um, to try to sort of lock it in as 2014. But then at a certain point, I knew, like, you know, people just read and they don't really worry too much about what year it is. But anyway, yeah. So something happens at the end and you need to know at that point sort of who, what year it is. But, um, yeah, when I wrote this, it was before I would feel differently writing this now, but I think based on how things were at the time, I was able to give a pretty, vanilla sort of approach to the whole thing. And now I would feel differently doing that. I mean, one of the things that really stood out for both of us was how well you took um, what, it, what we know factually exists, right? So Michael Jordan, gambling problems, uh, you know, problems with the NBA, leaving the NBA, and then tying that into this I'm going to assume, and, and you can address this, fictional um, pair of sneakers that don't real that isn't believed to, to exist. I don't. I, I didn't see anything that led me to believe that there is a <laughs> fabled pair of sneakers. But again, I didn't go to like the dark web of of, of Sneds uh, to, to look into it. So I mean, it was all really well woven together. So tell us a little bit about your inspiration. Clearly, you had a, a, a close eye on basketball in the mid '90s, is my guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, I played in high school, uh, and that was right at the beginning of 90. I finished high school, and then I played in college for one year, and I played pickup constantly and watched basketball constantly, college and pro. Um, I grew up watching the Celtics, and then, you know, having any knowledge of basketball in the 90s, 
it was all Michael Jordan. I mean, you guys know being from Chicago, it was just like everything you did with basketball, it was all about Michael Jordan. And, um, yeah, I just, I wasn't like fully plunged into it at the time. Cause I was, I sort of had my own teams that I was pulling for, but I really, you know, in retrospect, I really love Jordan's game. Give him all the credit. He was just amazing to watch. Um, I feel that way now about watching LeBron and maybe we'll say this soon about Zion Williamson, but you know, just watching it then and being involved in it, uh, you know, I really appreciated it. It was fun. The sneakers were amazing. I loved looking at the sneakers. And, um, you know, when I started researching this, I really went deep into the sneakerhead stuff. And then I started looking at the stuff about Michael Jordan's career and found out all the weird stuff about his retirement. Yeah. I just remembered that his father had passed away and there was something weird about maybe his father was killed over debts. But the whole retirement thing, I just thought he wanted to play baseball. But if you dig into that a little bit, there's some really weird stuff that kind of alludes to this other thing. And then that was right when the whole Pete Rose thing went down. So it all, yeah, I did a lot of research. The factual stuff came in and connected really well with the story that I wanted to tell, um, which really started being all about the sneakers. Yeah. um, That was one of the cool, I mean, I think that we liked like pretty much everything about the book, but one of the things that I thought was cool was, and and I don't know why, but recently I've been hearing stuff about like the whole like conspiracy about why Jordan left um, the NBA originally and stuff like that. So I, I feel like that, even though you wrote this a few years ago, it, it being released now is, is there it's, it's coming back into the news for some reason, I can't, but I've seen like a couple articles here and there, and maybe it's just because people have YouTube channels and they look for things to talk about or something. But, um, the timing of it is good. Oh because, my God. Like, yeah, I think people are exploring and there's the whole like serialized podcast talking about like topical things and stuff. And so I see people, uh, doing, sh- you know, um, themed, like YouTube channels on mysteries or, or conspiracies mm. and stuff like that. So that story has surfaced several times recently. So it's good timing on that. Yeah. I mean, I was doing that research. Yeah. I mean, so I left San Francisco in 2015, all the research around that I was doing prior to that. Yeah. And I just found it like randomly out there on some weird CBS sports website as a theory, a conspiracy theory. But, yeah, I mean, YouTube, it's like there's all kinds of stuff. You could go all day just watching YouTube (laughs) videos of all the sneakers that some crazy sneakerheads have. Mm -hmm. And, like, going to this – it's like Cribs is now, like, these YouTube videos where they just show what sneakers they have. It's kind of amazing. Um, So I got a lot of research watching YouTube clips and then watching clips of Jordan and people talking about Jordan. Yeah. it was fun. I mean, in other writing endeavors that I had when I was younger, I would really focus on the word count and like getting my daily word count. Like I got to get, you know, a thousand words, 1500 words, whatever it is. And with this project, I just kind of let it breathe more and allowed myself to just like give myself credit for that time that I spent researching. Like even if I wound up watching, so I started watching this show quick strike with DJ Clark Ken and Russ Bankston on the complex website. And it's, it's like, I don't know. It's like a show where they just talk about all the sneakers that are releasing that week. And, um, 
it's entertaining. They had people come on and they would do interviews and I just, you know, I really just like allowed myself to go down that rabbit hole and have fun with it. And I feel like the fun really came through in the book. For sure. And for somebody, like I said, who, you know, was familiar with the game back then, even if not with the shoes, like it all, <laughs> it all resonated, um, very, um, it, it, it all felt very truthful. I don't know if I mentioned it last time we talked, I actually, uh, 13 years ago was in the same bar as Michael Jordan sitting like 10 <laughs> feet away from him for a couple of hours. And you know, what occurred to me as I was reading the book, it, I, it, it never even occurred, like you would have looked at his shoes. I know you would have. And it I look never at everybody's even occurred to me shoes. See what yeah, <laughs> it never even occurred to me sitting next to a guy who has the most famous shoes in the world, bar none, to see what he was wearing on his feet. Well, it was funny because when I first met Rob in Chicago, he did a podcast for Booked or for Crime Wave, and he's like, "Oh, that Seth Harwood always has nice shoes on." Oh, did do you I remember say that? that? Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I mean, it must be true. I don't remember saying that though. Huh. But I never, yeah. So like, I was always kind of interested interested in shoes, uh, but yeah, I just like dove into this. I mean, the funny thing was, I really started writing this. Um, we had gone to Hawaii, and I just wanted to write a Jack Palm short story so that I could uh, do a tax write off on the Hawaii trip. Yes, and I gave it to my friend Dan Pope, who's an editor, and basically the story ended. I forget where the story ended, but he saw the part where he goes to Modi's house and finds the sneaker closet. Nice. And he just read it and was like, oh, man, something just came alive in this story. When you got to the sneaker closet part, you got to do more with that and you have to turn this into a novel. So basically, I just followed his advice and like blasted it out and... um the ending just sort of came about naturally. Like I just, I didn't know where the ending was going. It's like Flannery O'Connor talks about sometimes an ending, like just sort of hits you like a bucket of water. And then as soon as you realize that that's there, you realize it couldn't have been any other way. Does yeah. that make sense? I'm doing yeah. a bad mm -hmm. paraphrase, but it's yeah. like, you don't see the ending coming. And then once it comes, it's like, Oh yeah, that's exactly how it had to end. And so I felt like I discovered that in the writing process. And then I was really glad to hear you guys say that the ending really left you satisfied and worked out for you. Because I sort of felt like the same kind of relief and satisfaction writing it and having it get to that ending. There was especially like, yeah, the thing where the movie gets mentioned at the end uh, isn't really giving anything away to mention. But it's like when that happened... It just connected to some other things in the book that I thought like, oh, I didn't even realize that was really there as a thread. But now that that's come up, I see that as the way to end it. Glad that you mentioned Jack Palms because the, the Maltese Jordan. That's our the, boy. It, yeah, it's, <laughs> it is clearly the star, right? The shoes are the star of that that book. But the vehicle yeah. is Jack Palms. And you, you have a history. <laughs> Jack Palms is not a one-off character. No. Um, tell us a little bit about the journey with Jack Palms and, and, you know, maybe what you see in the future for him. Well, the thing with Jack Palms is that it's really been all about the podcasting. Like I wrote this first book, Jack Wakes Up, and I couldn't really get a publisher to take it. So I started podcasting it. And the list, I really found an audience out there that I connected with. And um, 
because I was connecting with this audience, I started writing more Jack Palms books, more adventures to bring back to them. So I did This Is Life, and then I did Checkmate, and then there was some real interest in the character from uh, Jack Wakes Up, whose name was Junius Pons, and so I wound up doing like his spinoff as a prequel for like his origin story. By the way, shout out to Nick Pizzolatto, or whatever his name is, and oh. uh, True Detective Season 3. Did you guys see the end of True Detective Season 3? No, I haven't I'm kind seen of loving True Detective Season 3. But anyway, at the end, there's a character who you don't know anything about for the whole thing, and it turns out in the last episode, you find out his name is Junius. Ooh, and I was like, yeah. oh, shit, it's a Junius. Like, there's no <laughs> other Juniuses that I know of anywhere in life or literature and so the fact that there was this Junius character who's black, who's in the last episode of this show that I love, I was really excited about last week. So anyway, shout outs to the Juniuses of the world and Nick Pizzolatto for hitting on that. But um, anyway, so I was writing these books. The audience was really digging it. Uh, I got a publisher that way, got to Random House, um, and then... You know, later on, I was writing these other books. Uh, I wrote a Jess Harding book with a female FBI agent as the main character. It takes place in Alaska. There's murders. I wrote another. So then I started another book that took place in San Francisco with a female homicide detective. And uh, I was I was working with a publisher, Thomas and Mercer, which is part of Amazon, and I had this draft of the Maltese Jordans. And, um, I had this other thing that I had started about this, this murder mystery in San Francisco with this woman who was on homicide. And I just went to them with like so much passion and excitement for the Maltese Jordans and Jack Palms. And, um, they really wanted the other book because the main character was a woman. They thought they could sell that better. And I just had so much passion for the Maltese Jordans, but they wanted this other book. So I, I went and wrote that other book, which became Everyone Pays, which maybe someday I'll get the rights back to and I'll be able to rename it Love of a Preacher Man, which was the title that I originally wanted. Anyway, so uh, I had to shelve the Maltese Jordans for several years to work on and then publish that book. And then after that book came out, I just realized, like, I'm going to do the Maltese Jordans. And so I did some revisions on it and really sort of bulked it up. And, you know, it's I think it's much better writing now, but essentially the the narrative arc of it is the same as what I had in, like, 2014, 2015. And Jack Palms is in them all. And I love the guy. Yeah, it's one of those situations where I mean, we regret uh, missing the opportunity to read books all the time uh, because we, you know, have obligated ourselves to other ones. But like this, you you're just like reading your novels is just one in a long string of things of us being like, why didn't we do this sooner? Because <laughs> we said it in the review, but I'll just repeat it here. The story was so satisfying and entertaining. And it I mean, even the pace, the pace was good the whole time. Um, there's very few objections, you know, that I could even think of to have about the story. It was, it was just, yeah, overall it was great. I could tell that like, it makes sense that you love it because it's great. 
I love it. I mean, the so you know, I've published. This is my um, seventh novel, and I have another book that's a novella that I wrote in uh, Kurt Vonnegut world, which was kind of weird, but I love that one because it was kind of about my daughter and about the process of writing. And the other one that I love is Young Junius because it takes place in 1987 in Cambridge where I grew up, and it's like, oh, the mean streets of Cambridge. But, you know, that one was really fun to write. And the Maltese Jordans, it's like, you know, this is really the book that I wanted to write. And I didn't even know that I wanted to write it, but I just found it as I was writing it. And I fucking love it. You guys both gave it five stars. So I know you love it. And that was really gratifying to me to hear. My friend uh, Ed uh, Perot, who I mentioned before, read it and said, uh, it totally rocks. I was totally into hoops from about 85 to 95. And this book was like crack only without losing my house and my family. <laughs> the rest of his review is really good, too, but it has spoilers in it, so I won't read it. Well, I'll read it. It says, Jordan runs a $15 million golf debt to someone and has to play a game in Saudi Arabia on the down low in a pair of one-of-a-kind Jordan's Jordan 11s. Are you effing kidding me? <laughs> the premise is pretty amazing if you think about yeah. it. Yeah, like, I love it. I was <laughs> like, I want to know I, what Michael Jordan would think about this book. Like, if he read it, you know? I know he'd think lawsuit. S- send him a copy. I know. I know a guy who's at Jordan Brand that I, I'm want to give a copy to, but I'm worried that they'll tell me I have to totally like change the whole book or something. But anyway, well, then, um, getting then, getting sued by Michael Jordan will only do good things for your great. career. Hey, that's I great know. press. That, that's what happened to Patrick Wensink when he uh, – what's the name of that book, Livius? Jack Daniels something, uh, right? Yeah, well yeah. – uh, Oh, yeah. He had the cover that was uh, the – you know, made the to look like the Jack Daniels cover, and, and he got yeah. the cease and desist, but he got so much – he was on NPR because of that. I got a cease and desist from them. When I was podcasting earlier, some of my fans started making T-shirts for Jack Palms. Nice. And so someone took a, a filigree Jack Daniels thing and put Jack Palms, California detective instead of <laughs> Jack Daniels. And I was selling it on Zazzle uh, where people could like do print on demand T-shirts. Yeah. And I, you know, I sold like three and, uh, <laughs> I actually got like emails from the lawyers for Jack Daniels and we were on the phone with them one time. And I was like, so wishing that I had recorded the conversation to put on my podcast. Yeah. It was like my almost claim to fame. But anyway, I had to take down the t-shirt cause they tracked me down and did a cease and desist. But J- Jack Daniels don't fuck around. They don't, man. Around, they don't yeah. fuck around. With, and that's how I know it's called the filigree. Cause when they come after you, they say they know their terminology. The But the thing, going back to what you guys, I think some of the stuff, so one thing, yeah, I love the premise of the story. I was listening to your review again on the way back from skiing because I wanted my wife to listen to it with me. And it's like, you guys are on the podcast talking about the Jordans and I'm just laughing because it's like so crazy, this whole premise of these sneakers (laughs) and you're talking about it like it's a real thing. But it's, I think it's funny. Like, I think the whole thing about the Jordan sneakers and like all the stuff that people do and how crazy this whole convoluted story of the, these sneakers and their origin, to me, it's hilarious. And 
it's just fun to think about and write about. And some of the, so the other point that I thought you guys made was interesting was about like the, you know, you were talking about a book that you read a long time ago where all the action was just like super amped up. And these guys yeah. kind of like, these guys like beat each other up a little bit and then they're kind of friends. It's like, yeah, we had an argument and how are we going to get those sneakers or something like that? And uh, some of the other Jack Palms books are just like, there's a lot of mayhem going on. Like there's like big car chases and lots of gun battles and just like big shit going down. And um, I just really wanted to pull back on the mayhem for this one. And yeah, I really like that level that you guys were talking about where it's like, you know, it's believable, it's plausible, it's not over the top, it's comic, but it's not like... You still take the story seriously. You still take the story seriously, and the people aren't doing things that are out of this world. Like, the people are pretty much grounded in what a normal person would do. There's just a set of extraordinary circumstances about this amazing, unbelievable pair of sneakers that they find themselves kind of coming into contact with maybe <laughs> maybe so here's <laughs> here's a question again without sneakers, spoiling much the sneakers might the whole the actual reality of the sneakers they might be true yeah i'm You're imagining really? that like you have like a, a safe somewhere in your house that has the actual maltese jordans and it's been a real story the whole time no, I just have a pipeline to like super deep dark web underground information. Uh, <laughs> and this book is the only way that it can be shared in the whole world. There you go. I love that. The tagline that I'm planning to use for this uh, book in a series of ads that I'll be running on Facebook, look for them, is um, the greatest sports story never told. Until now. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I mean, essentially, from what Seth just said, Rob, this is uh, like the Da Vinci code to finding <laughs> a pair of these sneakers somewhere. Like, there's probably hidden clues. If you went back through and reread it four or five times, you might start to be able to draw like a diagram of some sort to figure out where these Maltese Jordans are. It all connects somehow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You can, yeah, there's like a secret tunnel under the White House. I was going to say it has to play, <laughs> it's somehow playing with the White House. Of course. And Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, without spoiling anything, if there, if these shoes existed, how likely would you be to want to smell the inside of the shoe? 100%. I thought that was so weird that you thought that was weird. I would absolutely <laughs> want to smell these sneakers. It is weird. I don't care. Call me a foot fetishist or whatever you want. Like if you got a pair of sneakers that Michael Jordan played in 20 years ago, damn right. I would want to smell that. Oh yeah. That's the rare air. <laughs> the, the Jordan air. Yeah. That's what air Jordan is all about. That is quintessentially air Jordan. Oh man. Forget about the little pocket underneath in the sole. <laughs> that is what the Air Jordan is all about. Uh, wow. Yeah, that struck me as a little bit strange. Uh... <laughs> I know. I know. Both of you guys thought that was weird. 
I don't know. Maybe you just aren't that into basketball. We're obviously, I, do I don't understand authentication of, of rare sneakers. Yeah. I mean, the guy does the authentication at the end, but I think Jack and those guys, they just got to get one whiff of that. It smells like the ocean. It smells like money. All right. Transitioning yeah. a little bit away from the book. And you taught, you talked about this briefly a little bit, like your, your interaction with, um, your audience, right? So listeners that became readers when the books came out and then you're back on Patreon. Tell us a little bit about your experience with Patreon. Well, yeah. I mean, so um, one of the guys that I was podcasting with back in the day was Mike Bennett. And this is, you know, this is like to the 2006 to 2009 era of podcasting. So this is like before, ser- like people think podcasting started with serial or something like that. <laughs> and so this was like, there was a website called Podio Books. We were all giving our stuff away free. Scott Sigler, JC Hutchins. And so we had a pretty decent sized audience. I mean, so I was doing crime fiction and truth be told, more of the audience for that stuff was uh, speculative fiction folks, science fiction or fantasy listeners. Um because they're just like early adopters of tech. And so they're not necessarily as into crime as they are this other stuff. But I had a good size audience that way. And I was selling, I was giving away all my podcasts for free. I was giving away the audiobooks free, serialized. And it was kind of a really good um, promotional platform to get people to listen and hear me talking about what was going on. And so I could drive sales. Or I could drive reviews or get people to go to a website because people were listening like weekly. Um, and then I started doing Crime Wave. It was the same thing. Uh, but I just sort of backed away from that because I realized, you know, I'm putting all this work in. I need to make some money off of this. And so I really sort of put my eggs into the publishing basket. I'm just going to go with Amazon Publishing, try to get the books to sell. And for a while, that worked pretty well. And then it started to work less well. And so I realized that Mike Bennett had gone to Patreon and he was doing pretty well with it. He's got a ton of listeners and he was able to really transition a lot of his podcast audience over to Patreon. But I had a pretty big gap of like five years of not podcasting at all. So when I went back to try to like grab all those old fans and like transition them to Patreon, I, I wasn't able to grab a ton of them. I have a good size audience over there. But as Rob mentioned, I'm doing a lot of different things on Patreon now. I'm doing like these office hours where I talk about the craft of fiction. Uh, I do videos around that. Um, I'm re-releasing some of the old audio from other books. And I've been releasing the Maltese Jordans. Um at this point, people are able to come on and basically get the whole audiobook of the Maltese Jordans for $3 a month or $5 a month. And, um, you know, I think Patreon has been pretty good, but, uh, you know, I miss the giant audience engagement that I had when I was putting it all out for free. Um, but, you know, at some point, you know, the book business does wind up being about dollars and cents. And so then what do you do with it? I don't really know. I mean, so I've been putting it out on Patreon now that it's now that I've gotten the whole thing recorded. I just have one more episode to put out on Patreon. That's the finale. 
and then I'll probably do another interview like this with some of the Patreon people. Um, but after that, you know, the audio will be on audible. The book is on Amazon. The book is on my website. And, uh, I I'm toying with the idea of releasing it in a serialized format for free on my website, but I'm not sure what I'll do. I'm not sure if I'll do that. How much feedback, um, goes into your work from your, your audience? Cause one of the things that, that we, you know, we both noted and that we really like about you, is it seems like you're a pretty high level engagement guy with your audience. So how much of that really figures into, to your other work earlier when I was doing a book like young Junius or some of the other Jack Palm stuff, I was much more in a serialized mode, serialization mode of like writing it and podcasting it at the same time. Um, with this book, it was really finished before I started podcasting it. So it hasn't changed all that much. The feedback, I mean, so the thing is like as a writer who teaches and a writer who has had my work workshopped and a writer who's worked with editors of various different kinds, like everyone just wants to give you critical feedback. The great thing about having a podcast audience or an audience that's engaged with your work is that so much of that feedback from them is largely positive. Like, I mean, that's the thing that I love is that they just give you positive feedback and, or I've been able to get positive feedback from my podcasting audience and my Patreon audience. And now you guys reading the book. Um, and, and that's really been hard. I think that's hard for any author to find. Like, even if you sell a lot of books, Maybe you get a good series of reviews on Amazon or something like that. But then there's always these snarky idiots that are like giving you a one star review because you had five fucks in a single chapter or something. It's crazy. So, you know, one benefit of giving it away for free is by and large, for the most part, people are really responsive to you doing that. They'll want to hook you up with a favor, like giving you a review somewhere. But, um, you know, I don't get a ton of responses on my Patreon, but the ones that I do are all positive. And it's great to put out an episode and then like in a couple of days have someone write in. This was awesome. I really liked it. I really like what you're doing. Love it when that happened. And so, you know, for a writer to have an audience that you actually hear from people that you don't know, you're not related to. Uh, it feels really good. It's encouraging. It, uh, it keeps me going. Yeah. Like Livia said, I think that kind of suits your personality. Uh, uh, you make yourself more available than we see a lot of authors doing like, you know, your, your typical author will have the, you know, the cursory social media presence just to push stuff, but it's more like a one way street. Um, and it seems like you're a little bit more, uh, approachable than most most of the people that we we know unless they have like some people have the side gig where it's like i also do this type of thing that's related to to writing novels and that makes it a little bit more interactive but uh for the most part yeah it's just like uh um, all right well it's tuesday afternoon i have to post something you know that kind of thing that's nice to hear because i i worry sometimes that all i'm doing is like saying hey buy this hey buy this (laughs) um And, you know, that was one of the things that's cool about podcasting is that instead of just saying like, hey, buy this, you know, I was able to do like a weekly post on Facebook that's like, hey, here's something free for you to listen to. Um, 
And so I try to do some free stuff, free content on Patreon too. You know, my Patreon feed is patreon.com slash Seth Harwood. And so like even if people aren't buying or subscribing, they still can get free stuff there. And the first couple episodes of the Maltese Jordans are free. Um, you know, I just, yeah, you try to make it so that you're offering people something that they're interested in instead of just like always saying like, hey, buy something. But it's also fun when people respond to you. Yeah, I can identify with that uh, from the podcasting perspective. I mean, I can't tell you how many times me and Livius have had the conversation of like nobody says anything to us about the podcast or, or so the, the the few people that do, you know, approach us and say, hey, appreciated this or like, you know, share the uh, share the episodes on a regular basis and stuff. Those people are, are so valuable because that feedback is is us you know, having some sort of connection to the world and thinking, well, we aren't just doing this for, for literally no reason. Somebody is finding some value in it. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's the same because we're not, we're not looking for reviews and stuff like, you know, someone who puts out a book would be, we're just throwing this audio out into the universe and, you know, fingers crossed somebody listens to it. So for us, feedback is almost non-existent. Yeah. So, um, the whole thing, like, you know, as a podcaster, you guys can relate. You might not have a ton of listeners, but the listeners that write to you and actually care really sort of make the whole thing worthwhile. So even if it's like, I think I have like 60 people following me on Patreon. And it's not a ton, but like when you get those those uh, messages from those people that really acknowledge your work, um, it's really encouraging and it really makes things kind of seem worthwhile. So this woman, Ansley wrote, uh, when the book came out, she wanted to order a copy and she had ordered a copy of young Junius when that came out. And she says, since then I have followed your writing career, enjoying each book very much, including your non Jack Palms books. I am so glad you have kept up with the writing a field so tough that the easily discouraged just give up no matter their talent. And you are very talented and very tough. Thank you for all you write. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, Ansley wrote that. She lives in Florida. I have no idea who this woman is. And to have the knowledge that someone is out there reading my stuff and gives a shit uh, really feels good. More than gives a shit. Really likes it. I mean, we're in a world where, you know, clicking a like button you know, is, is the, the symbol of, of how we, you know, uh, show our, our, you know, whatever, our love for something for someone to take the time and write three sentences even is a huge deal. You know what I mean? So when someone drops you a note or shoots you an email, or in some cases we've gotten like a longer, you know, like a, a note from somebody about, about what we do. Yeah. I mean, that's really why look, we're not doing it to get rich. We're terrible at it. So you you talk (laughs) about monetization, and, and Rob and I were lost. We were, what do you mean, make money? What what does that mean? <laughs> um, yeah, but it's the wild west, and I imagine so. We we focus on podcasts. Our podcasts are about books, but being a a content creator that writes books and then does some stuff with audio and podcasting and that type of stuff, it's it's really the wild west out there. I don't know that anybody has nailed down um, the formula of what's going to work. And by the time you do, chances are the rest of the world is fickle, and it will have changed. So it's an interesting yeah. time. I was reading an article about um, musicians 
and how you no longer release an album. You know, you have to release like two singles first and the singles start like eight months out and you're, you're giving away for free on YouTube and what, you know what I mean? Like there's a whole, the, the, the traditional, like we made an album there's, you know, we, we release it out to a couple of radio stations a few weeks before, like the single, and then we sell an album is no longer how music works. Um, and, yeah. and books are changing. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully you're on the right path, because I think it's going to be some kind of mixture between digital content, if that's audio books or, or whatever, and traditional books uh, is going to be what, what comes out of this. So it'll be interesting to see over the next few years for sure. Yeah, I mean, I was really happy to see what happened with Rob Hart and how his whole thing worked out so well with the the warehouse. Uh, but you know, as a writer, we can't wait around for something like that to happen because it's just like so. It's so rare that you just have to try different things. But at the end of the day, too, it's like just knowing that I feel really good about this book. And that I really love it. Um, that's kind of a big part of the battle, I think. Or that's a big part of the reward. So uh, talking about trying different things, this may not be exactly what we were talking about. But um, something that I noticed is with the release of Maltese Jordans, you uh, are releasing the other jack palms books with uh themed covers is that correct yeah so i i got the rights back to all the jack palms content um and when i re-release those you have to re-release them with new covers so i got a new cover artist um i did a bunch of stuff and uh yeah i'm re-releasing all of those under my own shelter or uh shingle <laughs> yeah it's crime wave right you, t- you took the crime yeah, wave name exactly uh, yeah and that. so i'm doing that with this book as well and um yeah i'm just happy to have it out there so really everybody should just get a whole set of the jack Palms books is what i'm is what i'm hearing order signed copies from sethharwood.com exactly yeah there's <laughs> even a thing on there that says email me so basically I didn't set up like a whole huge PayPal shopping cart thing. But if you go on there and you want the different books, I just have a link that says, email me. I'll give you a price. I'll send you the books. Uh, And the whole set, it's a beautiful set. All the covers match and and have certain uh, aesthetic similarities. It's excellent. So before we wrap it up, is there anything that you want to uh, plug or promote that we haven't talked about already? My power came back. <laughs> I want to plug or promote the fine folks of Eversource, Massachusetts for getting the lights back on in my house. <laughs> uh, maybe the internet will even start working again. Um, I, I really want to promote the Maltese Twins. I would love for you guys to take your little cursors over to Amazon and write five-star reviews and post them there. Uh, I would love for your listeners to pick up a copy on Amazon. Uh, if you're international uh, or in the U.S., the URL, you can just go to getbook.at backslash the Maltese Jordans, and it will take you to whatever Amazon you use, and it will take you right to the book, which is funky, and somehow I managed to figure that out on the Internet. And um, you can also just go to SethHarwood.com 
and buy a signed copy there or a signed series of the whole set. Or you can go to my Patreon page and get audio there, listen to my craft lessons, all that good stuff. I know you're a patron, Rob, so thank you. And uh, I'm sure Livius won't uh, be far behind. Silence is him going over to Patreon.com right now to take <laughs> care right. of that. That's right. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> the silence is, is him waiting for me to stop guilting him. <laughs> Um, Seth, thanks so much for uh, coming on and talking to us again. It's always great to talk to you, and uh, thanks for yeah. such an entertaining book. Man, I was just really happy to hear your review. It was really fun to listen. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to read it, talk about it, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Always great to have Seth on. I say always. I think it's only our second time, but um, I, I can almost guarantee you not the last time, despite despite the fact that we had some technical issues going on there. <laughs> yeah. If you notice that at, at some point very close to the end, Seth seems a little distracted and maybe has a different audio quality. It's because in the middle of me talking, uh, his power went out at his house. And so, um, he, you know, we lost him for a few minutes and then he gets back on from his phone and at like, so when we started to pick up again, it was right after he literally said the words, uh, let me just light a candle and then we can, we can continue. <laughs> so he might've seemed a little bit thrown off. Uh, it's because, uh, the state of Massachusetts had gone dark. You know, people probably don't think about how volatile our communication system is, but just think about this. So we recently, I just a few months ago, had a power outage in the middle of one of our episodes. It was just me and you. <laughs> Seth suffered a power outage. We once had a fire alarm back in year one <laughs> where you thought you were going to have to evacuate your building. I yeah. mean, we've, we've run into some, and you know, we only do this for like an hour a week, right? Hour, hour and a half a week. And just think of how many times. Other than the fact that Skype is kind of bullshit as far as software goes, but how many times we've had some kind of interruption, technical difficulty, it happens more often than people think. Yeah, it's really strange. And I wonder if like it would be a different story if we all sat in the same room. Maybe that would eliminate some of the complications, but... Depends on where the power outage is. If we were all at Seth's house, we'd be sitting around by candlelight all talking into an iPhone right now. Yeah, not ideal. But anyway... Um, you are correct. It's always awesome to have Seth on. And I think that we even didn't he in our last year, he talked about coming on to, to, to review some classic literature with us or something like that. If I remember correctly, I seem to remember something yeah. like that too. Um, that being said, on that. Seth is always welcome. So, um, next week. All right. So next week's going to be a little different. Um, next week is a holiday episode. You may be asking yourself, what <laughs> holiday could this possibly be? Rob, what holiday are we doing? Um, I'm confused because I think we actually had two options. Um, if you think about we're, we're, we're dropping close to second week of March, and um, that's the Ides of March. The motherfucking Ides of March. Yeah. Um, We've never done I the find, Ides of March before. I find every year that um i mentioned that you know because i'm writing the date down and i'll say to somebody else oh, the ides of march and i find more and more that people have no idea what i'm talking about yeah yeah that's not it's not a sexy it's not even a holiday no first of all <laughs> <laughs> i think that the next uh after we do this i think the one the holiday episode we have to do after that is um the uh 
the day that someone figured out was the day that Ice Cube was singing about in his song, It Was a Good Day. Do you know what I'm talking about? I actually do. Yeah, I think we have to do do. the good day um, as our next holiday. (laughs) All right, here's what the next holiday episode is going to be. (laughs) St. Patrick's Day. Although up until now, it was supposed to be the Ides of March up until today, actually, maybe yesterday. Um, St. Patrick's Day, which will be um, a little bit early for St. Patrick's Day, but we really can't do it timely for St. Patrick's Day because Rob and I are super, super excited about Inspection by Josh Mallerman. So that's your next two episodes. Um, should we let listen? I don't know if we talked about it before. We already know what our next holiday episode is, right? Because this is the one mm. I'm kind of excited about. <laughs> no, that was talked about on the podcast, so that could, we could talk about that. All right. Prom. Booked prom. <laughs> I haven't been excited, this excited about a prom since 19 motherfucking 90. All right. So I'm going to, so this might be a little bit of an overshare, but uh, for my senior prom, I did not go. And the reason was a uh, friend of the podcast, John Gatwood, had stolen my girlfriend and went to prom with her and then like broke up like two months later. So he took my girlfriend just for prom. That son of a bitch. I think what we should do, Rob, as part of the prom episode is you should invite him over and I'll, I'll come over. We'll actually do this one live in person. And we kick his ass. Just just kick him. Just beat the shit out of him. I mean, that would be right, right? Well, I mean, he's still in my life and that girl isn't. So, Well, all right. At a minimum, I think what's going to happen is John does tend to tune in for the booked lives, the, yeah. the holiday oh, episodes, yeah, right? Yeah. So we may have to ask him about that. We may have to ask for an explanation on that whole uh, on that whole thing. But that's in June. (laughs) So as it stands right now, St. Patrick's Day um, inspection by Josh Mallerman. And then who knows after that? But probably another book is my guess. We already know. Hopefully, because we're we're creeping up on our anniversary. So so we're probably gonna have an episode dedicated to that. So we'll at least have to try to get one or two more books in before that. So uh, thanks for tuning in to our interview with Seth Harwood. Um, Until next week, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.